Well, this morning we're considering together the fifth fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And it's the fruit of kindness, or translated also benevolence. Kindness or benevolence. Now, one thing we shouldn't lose sight of in our desire and efforts to attain this fruit is this, that we can't do it ourselves. You know, you got to really understand that right from the beginning. Fruit is fruit. It's the byproduct of something else. If the apple is planted in good soil, apple tree is planted in good soil, watered and fertilized, gets plenty of sun, sun if it's properly pruned, it will produce fruit. If you and I abide in Christ, that is, remain close to him, rely on him, trust in him, allow his Holy Spirit to control our lives, then we will bear fruit. It's the result of Jesus living his life through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the author and perfecter of this wonderful fruit. So the fruit of kindness. Doesn't kindness, benevolence, or generosity characterize the life of Christ? Children are brought to him and the disciples say, Take them away. Our master is not to be bothered with children. Jesus responds, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Trouble them to come to me. <laughs> if it's not too much of an inconvenience for them, not too much trouble, please beg them to come. <laughs> you see how Jesus responds? When others are shouting for Jesus, pushing toward him in a crowd, pleading for his healing touch, he doesn't chase anyone away. He never says, well, you know what, it's not a good time now, or I'm, not, I'm pretty tired, or come back during regular business hours. <laughs> Even the leper approaches Jesus, declaring, if you are willing, you could make me clean. <clears throat> and it says Jesus stretched forth his hand and touched him and said, be cleansed. He is willing, I am willing, be cleansed. Jesus had compassion for all people. He was kind and extremely generous. He says in John 15, 13, and 14, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. The kindness that filled and spilled over from Jesus' heart compelled him to sacrificially give. He didn't concern himself with his own needs and wants or desires. He lived and he died for you and for me. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 states, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When you and I put our trust in Jesus for him to become our Savior, Something wonderful happens inside of us. We become different people. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was so moved by his encounter with the Christ that he was compelled to declare in Luke 19.8, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. This desire to give, it's normal, it's right. How could we respond really in any other way? In the passage shared with us this morning, we heard the words declared, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The one who received so much from God 
feels compelled to give back to him. Not that he could ever be repaid for offering his life for us, but it won't stop us from giving when and however and whenever and wherever we can. Colossians 2, 6 through 7 puts it this way. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. <laughs> My son, we call him Jojo, <laughs> Joe Jr., Jojo. He was around five when he came to know Christ as his Savior. One night in bed, he, he was going to sleep, and we prayed with him, and he said, could I ask Jesus to come into my heart? I want him to be my Savior. I want him to know that I'm going to be with Jesus and with my parents when I die. We said, of course, we've been praying for this day. And so we prayed with him, and he gave his heart to the Lord. Well, got up early in the morning, and he was gone. I couldn't find him. I looked in the house. He wasn't around. We live right next door to the church. And so I, I ran next door and I opened the front door of the church. And there he was at the offering box in the back, putting in all his money. Now, if you knew Joe, <laughs> I mean, he was very careful with his money. <laughs> in fact, if he saw a penny, he would go out of his way to pick it up off the floor and put it in his pocket so that he can get it into his bank. <laughs> But something happened to him when he came to know Jesus. <laughs> he had to give all his money away. That's what he felt inside. And how precious that was. Well, this kind of giving or generosity, again, it's not a natural, humanly speaking thing, but it is supernatural. It's the result of God's Holy Spirit being in us and filling us with his presence. Recently, uh, Sharon had a friend that needed some help. And... Uh, you know, she's a single mom and, and struggling, and so we felt that we wanted to do something. Well, she drives quite a distance to work, and her tires were so worn out that she was worried any day she was going to get a blowout. And uh, so we had four tires down in our basement that were practically new that came off an old car, older car, and, and we weren't using. So I said, why don't I pick up her car, and then I'll take it to the gas station, and we'll put these tires on for her. And Sharon said, that'd be wonderful. So I picked up the lady's car and brought it to the gas station. As, I, as I'm driving there, I, I put the brakes on, and the brakes wouldn't barely even stop the car. And the noise of the tires, because the metal's sticking through, on the road as I'm driving to the mechanic, Lord, please help me make it to the garage. And as I'm going there, this thought comes into my mind, and I know it wasn't from me. You know, do you really love people? Oh, God, you know I do. Well, you know... It's nice you're going to get the tires, but you already had the tires. Big deal. You're paying to mount them and balance them. What about her brakes? I'm looking around. Who said that? <laughs> you know? I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> Where's that coming from? Yeah, what about her brakes? Well, well, I had this little argument with God, but God, what about our car? What about our expenses? What about our needs? And you have that wrestling time, right? You know what it's about. You've been through it yourselves. And you feel strong that you're supposed to do this thing. You're supposed to give something away, but it's hard at times. So I felt this strong conviction of God that we're to do the breaks too. 
And good thing, because when the mechanic took the tires off, he could barely get the hubs off. He pounded them for 15 minutes. He said these brakes were so, like, melded on <laughs> to this, and, and he had a really hard time getting it apart. And so he replaced the brakes. And then he said, should I check the oil? I go, why not? Because <laughs> he saw the sticker and the window was about a year earlier. <laughs> so he said, he, he opened the cap and drained the oil. And it kind of went bloop, bloop, in these thick globs. <laughs> and he said, good thing we're changing the oil and the filter. Well, anyway, I just want to point that out because it's God in us. It's God in us. We know ourselves. We know who we are. We know what we're like. But something came over my son that caused him to stick his money in the offering box. Something came over us that said, her need is greater than yours at this moment. I'll take care of you. Right now, you do what I'm calling you to do. You know, giving is actually one of the proofs that God is living in us. In 1 John 3, 16 through 18, we read, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. It's easy to talk about love. It's easy to say how much we love, but when it comes down to it, in deed and in truth, show it, demonstrate it, prove it. 1 John 4, 7 through 11, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So this fruit of kindness or benevolence compels us to give to others. It springs forth from a heart filled with gratitude. Another point about this fruit of kindness or benevolence and that it is, in that, is that it compels us to honor God. It compels us to honor God. What does God deserve from you? What do you owe God? How do we display our love and devotion to him? in a tangible way. It says his love was manifested toward us in that God offered his son. Christ gave his life. Your love is manifested toward God in that you and fill in the blank. <laughs> in the book of Malachi, we read, a son honors his father and a servant his master. God says, then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly? says the Lord of hosts. But now, will you not entreat God's favor, that he may be gracious to us? 
With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. Nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure. For in my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you are profaning it in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, How tiresome it is. <laughs> and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame and sick. So you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts. My name is feared among the nations. God is asking, where is my honor? Where is the respect that I deserve? You give me the leftovers. You give me what you really didn't want or need anyway. Would you treat the governor that way if he came to your house for dinner? Would you open up your fridge? Let me see, where's last week's leftovers that I could serve it to him? Well, this fruit of benevolence compels us to honor God by our giving, to honor him with our first and our best. How many times have we said, well, let me take care of this and do this and do that and do this and do that, and God, I'll see if I have any left over for you. God goes on to say to his people through the prophet Malachi in Malachi 3, 7 through 12, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God was in essence saying to his people, you owe me. All I asked for was 10% of what I gave you, but you said that was too much. Some feel today that a tithe is a way we can still honor God, offering him 10% of what he blesses us with. A person said to me once, why should I give 10% of what I make? I work hard for that money. Then they said, what did he have to do with it? Whoa, <laughs> let me step over here <laughs> you know, in case the lightning comes. <laughs> what did he have to do with it, I said to them? Who gave you your breath? Who gives you your life? Who gets you out of bed each morning? Who gave you that job? Who takes care of you? Who gives you health? Who gives you wisdom? Who gives you understanding? Who gives you the car to get there? Who? Okay, okay, he said. <laughs> I get it. 
Well, we could debate whether a tithe is relevant for today, but there's a more important issue really at stake, and that's the issue of our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. They didn't have much of anything, but they were compelled to give out of their love and devotion to God. You know, it killed me when we were over in Nigeria and we would visit some people and, and these people would come and they would put on this spread for you and give you a meal. And you knew this was taking like two, three, four weeks of their wages to provide this little bit of meat that they're, they're giving you. And you don't even want to eat it because it's like a, like a holy sacrifice. But you see, that's how they showed their honor. Not giving out of their abundance. But they were in poverty, yet they still found a way to show their love, to show their respect. In 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, we read, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do just as, per as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Isn't that great? I love that passage. God is going to give to us so that we have something to give to him and to others. A boy was on his way to church carrying his two quarters, playing with them as boys do. One for the missionaries and one for his ice cream. Well, as he's playing with the coin, one drops and rolls down the storm drain. The boy looks up into heaven and says, sorry, God, there goes your quarter. <laughs> Why is it when things are tight, when things come up, it's always God that gets shortchanged? Well, we reason he understands. Perhaps he does. But perhaps it's not so much the money he needs from us as it is our devotion our honor and faith and trust in him. The principle from scripture is, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Ecclesiastes 11.1 1 puts it this way, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you after many days. It's a contradiction. If I throw my bread on the water and the water sweeps it away, how am I going to get it back? Because it's God's way. <laughs> God says, you just worry about casting it. I'll worry about getting it back. In Proverbs 11, 24 and 25, we read, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it is the result of, and yet it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, 
and he who waters will himself be watered. <laughs> you know, in the book of Haggai, I'm not going to read it, but God is talking to his people. And he says, you know, you look for much, but it comes to nothing. And, and life is hard for you and things are not going well. And he says, again, the reason is because you're so focused on yourself. You want to build your houses and take care of yourselves. Meanwhile, the temples, you know, not, not being rebuilt. And, and he says, you're not putting me first. And, and so he says, so what I'm doing is I'm actually poking holes in your money bags. So it's falling out. And you're wondering, man, I can't seem to get ahead. I can't seem to ever cut a break. Well, that's because you're putting me second or third or fourth or tenth. Put me first and watch what happens. And that's what God is saying in these passages. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God will take care of those who put his interests first. There was a family in our church, I shared with some of you before, that were struggling, and, and I didn't even know it. The man asked if he could meet with me and, and talk about his finances and how to maybe come up with a better budget to make things work. And him and his wife had three kids. And uh, as I looked at his budget, I said, you're not spending hardly anything for food. He said, yeah, well, that's because we don't have the money. I, I said, but, you know, you have three growing boys. He says, well, we try to get pasta. We, we never buy meat uh, or anything. I said, you're not a vegetarian. No, no, it's just that it's too expensive. Well, how do you think I felt? <laughs> you know, here's this guy, every week came, sat there where you're sitting, and I never even knew of his struggle. I had a friend who owned his own business, and I called him up. He said, hey, what are you doing this afternoon? And he knows whenever I call him, it means something, because he, he's a wealthy man. And I said, hey, want to go buy a freezer with me? He said, a freezer? Sure, let's go. So we got our van, we went, and we picked up this freezer. And uh, actually, as we came back and we're starting to get some money together, there was a woman's Bible study going on. When people heard that what we were doing, that we were going to provide for this needy family in our church, all of a sudden money started coming at me, 20, 50, 100, 20, 40, you know, and it was like unbelievable. And my kids came up to me and said, Dad, it was almost Christmas time, and they said, Dad, we have this money saved. We're going to buy gifts for each other. The oldest one comes and says, but I collected it from all the kids and we want to give this to that family instead. I said, but this was your money to buy each other gifts. I know, but if they don't even have food, how could we be happy buying each other gifts? Took their money, and we went there with all the kids. And my friend and I, we pull up to the door, knocked on the door. The freezer comes out. We're carrying it into his basement, and, you know, just to watch the tears pour out of their eyes and bag after bag of food that came in, steaks and roasts and chickens and frozen vegetables, and we filled the freezer all the way up to the top. And they were so excited. And then someone in the church said, I feel compelled by God to give you this $200 for you and your family. You have to insist. I insist. The only way I'm going to give it to you, because God told me it's for your family. And I said, all right. <laughs> I'm glad you're listening to God. <laughs> so I took that $200, and when I added up what my kids gave, it totaled $100. So I called them all into my study. I said, Becky, 
How much did you give? $23. Here's 46. Joy, how much did you give? I gave 15. Here's 30. Each of them, I doubled the amount that they gave. And I said, now go buy each other gifts. And they learned an important lesson that day. You can't outgive God. <laughs> when you put God first and honor him, he's going to take care of you. In Luke 6:38, we read, <clears throat> given it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure it shall be measured to you in return. We could end the message right here and I'll go home and say, boy, that was fun. You know, it was challenging. It was, it was kind of nice. But I want to just add something. You know, we don't talk much about our own church's finances, and for good reason, because everybody talks about money. And how often do we hear it? And we get all these pleas and requests for money. And, you know, our church, when I came from, we didn't even pass the offering because we didn't want anybody to feel like we're compelling you to give. We had a box in the back. But you know what? Giving is a part of our worship to God. It really is. And throughout the scriptures, God speaks about it. God says, you shall not appear before me empty-handed. God says, on the first day of the week, as you assemble together, bring your offerings and present them. We have more people today than a year ago, but our funds seem to be less. It's more and more challenging for us to pay the bills. I, like many of you, feel a sense of responsibility to this ministry. God has called me here. And I don't, don't just want us to survive. I want us to thrive. There's so much more that as a church, as a ministry, we could be doing if we had the resources. Many of you, I'm sure, give far more than a tithe because you end up supporting your own ministry here besides supporting the overall work and mission and ministry of our church. Yet it's going to take all of us doing our part. None of us truly knows what anyone else gives or does, but God knows. And it's between each one of us and him. What we need to realize, though, is that if you're away or going through challenging times, the church's bills remain the same. <laughs> You know, think about that. It's a privilege to give to something you believe in, to something you're a part of, to something that wouldn't be able to be without you. We do count on you, each one of you, each one of us. And again, it's not God needs our money, but it's a way he tests our hearts. It's a way we show him gratitude for his wonderful grace toward us. How tightly are you holding on to what God has given you? Why did he give it to you? Why do you have that job, your house, your car, your time, your talents, your treasure? We hear the term stewardship. Well, a steward is a manager of something that's been entrusted to him by another. In 2 Corinthians 4, we read, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. God is saying, I've given you something. Are you faithful with what I've given you? Following up with this, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, asks in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? All that I have, it's been given to me by God. What I have isn't mine, it's his. 
God loaned it to me, and he asked me to do something with it until he returns. I'll be called before him one day and asked to give an account of my stewardship. One servant, as we know from the parable, was entrusted with five coins. He invested it and gained five more. Another was given two. He invested it and gained two more. One was given one. He took it and hid it in the ground and did nothing with it. Well, when and how and where are your talents, your money, your passions being used? When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are compelled to be generous. To give as Jesus gave, willingly, sacrificially, gratefully, consistently, faithfully. This fruit of kindness or benevolence or generosity is all wrapped up in our own personal relationship with God. The closer we are to Him, the more His Holy Spirit fills us, the greater and desire our practice of giving. Giving is not just a responsibility it truly is an honor. Jesus meant it when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are a few things in life that give us greater joy. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for putting us together as a family. And today was kind of like a family meeting. <laughs> we talked about some things that are important. And God, I want to do my part I want to be faithful. I want to really believe in my heart that what I have isn't mine but yours. I say it is God, and yet when it comes right down to it, sometimes it's hard to let go. But God, the deeper and deeper I fall in love with you, the more I realize your abundance of grace poured out to me, not only for my eternal salvation, but in your faithfulness every day to me. Oh God, I want to give. I want to give more than I have. God, give to me so I can give to you and to others. That's my heart's desire. And thank you for the family of God and their love and support. Lord, even coming here this morning after my brother just went to be with you at 7.30 this morning, Lord, I thought there's no other place I'd rather be than with my brothers and sisters because no one loves me like they do. And Lord, no one can understand better than they. And Lord, there's always that mixture in our hearts of sadness because we're going to miss the one we love, but great joy because he's in the presence of God. And these things that we say we believe are put to the test at times like this. Heaven is real. And as we'll sing in this last song, Lord, it's so real and you're so precious. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.